You know, in our eyes, most of our sins are little ones. That's the way we look at it. Most of our sins in our own eyes, they're little sins, and we rarely get on the 10 o'clock news. That's not something that, that happens. And few of us, I hope, you know, never convicted of robbery or murder or rape or, or something like that. The majority of Christians manage to avoid those, quote, big whopping sins, you know, most of the time. And that's why when a Christian does break the law, it's news. It's all over the news when a Christian breaks the law. You know, our sins basically are the grinding day-to-day -day violations that just repeat themselves over and over and over again. And they kind of bore little holes in our souls. And eventually, they bleed us um, of all our faith and our, our spiritual energy. And that's what sins do. You see, the big sins... You know, they're kind of like dynamite, you know, and they can blow up the house with one big tremendous bang. That's the way we look at big sins. However, little sins are kind of like termites. You know, they just slowly eat through everything and cause the house to collapse on itself. But either way, the house is destroyed. Big or little, the house are destroyed. And Paul, the Apostle Paul, he puts it this way in Romans 6 chapter, um, the wages of sin is death. And I want you to notice that he never, ever qualifies the word sin. It's not big ones or little ones. He says the wages of sin is death. And the point I'm getting at here is that whether it's big sins or little sins, we need to understand that sin is sin. It's breaking God's law. And we need to break the sin habit. You know, if we're going to continue to grow in Christ, if we're going to be faithful to him, and if we're going to go to heaven, we've got to break the sin habit. Whether we've been Christian for 60 years or, or six years or not a Christian at all, we need to break the sin habit. Now, Jesus, he demands us, he demands that we repent of our sins in order to be forgiven. In the 24th chapter of Luke, in verse 47, says, and that repentance for forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all the nations beginning from Jerusalem. Now, what this means is this. It means that a person must turn or must change his mind and conduct with regard to sin. All sin, big sins, little sins, however we classify them. You know, this doesn't mean just being sorry for sin, Repentance means breaking the habit of sin in one's life. You know, one of the cruelest lies I think that Satan will have us to believe is that repentance means getting rid of those big sins, but not worrying about the little stuff. And Satan, he deceives you into thinking that because he knows that more houses are destroyed by termites than dynamite. More houses are destroyed, more lives are destroyed by termites than dynamite. You know, David, in the Old Testament, he was a person who understood just how important it was to break the sin habit in his life because he saw firsthand, you know, how sin caused many problems in his own life. So in 1 Chronicles chapter 21, that's going to be our text today, 
we read a story that teaches us how David broke the habit of sin in his life, and perhaps we can experience, um, you know, and because of his experience, we can break the sin cycles in our own lives. So in this story, basically, we've pulled out four steps in breaking the sin habit here. You know, David, he's tempted by Satan here to conduct a census. This is where all this starts off. Satan tempts him to conduct a census. The very first verse there, then Satan stood up against Israel and moved David to number Israel. Now, one of the things we need to understand is this, <clears throat> excuse me, taking a census was not a sin in and itself, you know, since God had ordered these before. So just taking a census, that wasn't the sin. But this time, however, um, the prompting to do so came from Satan. And probably along with that, it kind of appealed to David's desire to increase his wealth, you know, maybe through taxes or maybe even to bolster his, his confidence um, based on the strength of his army rather than the strength of God. So Satan knew how to work this. He knew how, he knew how to tempt David here. And I want you to note here that Joab, his advisor and his military commander, he recognizes the wrong here, and he warns the king. It's like, you don't need to do this. He warns the king, but to no avail. Look at verses 2 through 4. <clears throat> so David said to Joab and to the princes of the people, Go number Israel from Beersheba even to Dan, and bring me word that um, I may know their number. And Joab said, May the Lord add to his people a hundred times as many as they are. But my Lord and the king, are they not all my Lord's servants? Why does my Lord seek this thing? Why should he be, or why should he be a cause of guilt to Israel? Nevertheless, the king's word prevailed against Joab. Therefore, Joab departed. He went through all throughout all Israel, and came to Jerusalem. Now, Joab, he just couldn't bring himself to provide an accurate count, you know, so he skips over two tribes here. And in verses 5 through 7, we see that. Joab gave the number of the census of all the people to David, and all Israel were 1,100,000 men who drew the sword. And Judah was 470,000 men who drew the sword. But he did not number Levi and Benjamin among them, for the king's command was abhorrent to Joab. God was displeased with this thing, so he struck Israel. Okay, what we see here is the writer says that David was, uh, um, that God was displeased with David's decision. <coughs> Excuse me. And he punished Israel because of the sin of the king. Now, I want you to note here that the people suffer because of the wrongs of their leaders. This should really give us cause to think about who we vote for in elections. See, you know, and the fact that there are consequences that follow us from the voting booth. So it's something we need to really think about. It's important that Christians vote, especially, you know, vote your convictions, vote according to the scripture. Now, the balance of this chapter, basically we see David's response to God's judgment and how his 
and how in this response of David, um, he strives to break the sin habit, you know, that brought him to this point in his life. So that very first step is this, realization. Realization. Look at verse 8. David said to God, I have sinned greatly in that I have done this thing. But now, please take away the iniquity of your servant, for I have done very foolishly. You know, David here, if you see, he acknowledges what he has done is wrong. He acknowledges what he's done is foolish and it's disobedient. And uh, it wasn't just a mistake. In other words, he's taken full credit for this. He understands that he has sinned. And I want you to notice there was no excuses given here. You know, like you could imagine David could have said, well, you know, the pressure of being a king got to me or the fear of foreign armies, you know, it got to me or the idea that nobody's perfect. You know, the, the argument, you, you know, that it wasn't such a big sin, you know, no one got hurt. I want you to understand that David didn't make any excuses here, you know, and if it's against God's will, it's a sin. Folks, if it's against God's will, it's a sin. No matter if it's big or if it's small, it doesn't make any difference. If it's against God's will, it's a sin. And if it's a sin, God hates it, big or small. Psalms, the fifth chapter, in verse four says, um, for you are not a God who takes pleasure in wickedness. No evil can dwell with you. And basically, this is saying that God cannot tolerate the slightest sin. And folks, if God hates it, we need to get rid of it. Amen? Mm -hmm. This very first step right here is possibly the most difficult, the hardest to achieve for many Christians because they know that if they acknowledge something that they're doing is a sin, then they've got to follow through with it and get rid of it. So they don't want to acknowledge those sins. This is why there's such a defense um, of little sins. You know, vices like the addiction to tobacco products or immodest dress or watching sexually explicit movies or sexual activity between unmarried persons. You know, the little sins that we think are little, like gossip or laziness or, or stubbornness, you know, dishonesty about little things like cheating on homework or copying computer programs and videos or maybe getting into a, events um, free of charge by sneaking in or revenge or, or petty cruelty or, or selfishness. All these things that we classify as little sins. And this list could go on and on. Maybe you could add some of your own. You know, we make all kinds of excuses and defense mechanisms to protect our sins from being dealt with. We don't want to deal with them because we know they're tough to deal with. You know, it's, <clears throat> it's kind of amazing that people, you know, they'll believe the preacher about doctrine. They'll believe the preacher about a Greek word or the plan of salvation or marriage counseling methods. They'll believe them about that. But they won't accept his word when it points out their sins. Have you ever noticed that? You know, that's kind of personal then. You know, just like David ignoring Joab's warning here, 
they refuse to accept what the pulpit warns against. And because of this, you know, they're going to eventually pay the price for it. You know, and don't get me wrong. I'm not sitting here pointing a finger at you. When I'm pointing a finger at you, I've got three pointed back at me. You know, this is us. We all have sinned, according to Scripture. And anyway, when he was finally judged, David, he took the very first and necessary step in breaking this sin habit. You know, he realized that what he was doing was a sin, and he had to deal with it like it was a sin. And folks, that's something that you and I need to do, need to do also. When we recognize that we're breaking God's law, big sins or little sins, we need to deal with it as a sin and not just push it under the table, not try to hide it, you know, not try to, to, to talk it away. Um, we need to deal with it. Step number two is this, is repentance. Repentance. Look at verses 9 through 13. The Lord spoke to Gad, David's seer, saying, Go and speak to David, saying, Thus says the Lord, I offer you three things. Choose for yourself one of them, which I will do to you. So Gad came to David, and he said to him, Thus says the Lord, Take for yourself either, either three years of famine or three months to be swept away before your foes while the sword of your enemies overtakes you, or three days of the sword of the Lord, even pestilence in the land. And the angel of the Lord destroying throughout all the territory of Israel. Now, therefore, consider what answer I shall return to him who sent me. David said to Gad, I am in great distress. Please let me fall into the hand of the Lord, for his mercies are very great. But do not let me fall into the hand of man. You know, basically... God here is offering David three choices of punishment for his sin. Three choices. Three years of famine, that's one of the choices. Another choice would be three months of foreign uh, armies attacking him. And the third choice is three days of pestilence and disease in the land that the Lord was sent. Well, David, he chooses the three days of disease sent by God on the nation. You know, he chooses this because he would rather suffer the consequences uh, um, in the hands of God than from nature or from, from his enemies here. Now, I really do think that by this choice, he shows that he is he's prepared to trust God regardless of the circumstances. You know, he could prepare for a famine, just like Joseph did, or he could fight an army with his army, you know, but he chose to put his life completely in the hands of Almighty God. You know, his sin was not trusting in God. The repentance was not just suffering the consequences, but the repentance was change. It was going back to trusting God. So we see that breaking the sin habit here requires change, and it requires change in our life as well. Not excusing the sin, but getting rid of it. You know, not loving the sin, but hating the sin. Not being afraid that we can't live without the sin, but trusting that God will fill that hole where the sin used to be with something a whole lot better. You know, we will never break our sin habit unless we are ready to allow God to ask us to change 
some part of us or any habit that we have and replace it with something better, something clean, you know, something godly. Now, that third step we see in this story is restitution. Look at verses 14 through 17. So the Lord sent a pestilence on Israel. 70,000 men of Israel fell, and God sent an angel to Jerusalem to destroy it. But as he was about to destroy it, the Lord saw and was sorry over the calamity and said to the destroying angel, it is enough. Now relax your hand. And the angel of the Lord was standing by the threshing floor of Ornan the Jebusite. Then David lifted his eyes and saw the angel of the Lord standing between earth and heaven with his sword drawn, sword in his hands, with his drawn sword in his hand, stretched out over Jerusalem. Then David and the elders, covered with sackcloth, fell on their faces. David said to God, Is it not I who commanded to count the people? Indeed, I am the one who has sinned and done very wickedly. But these sheep, what have they done? O Lord God, please let your hand be against me and my father's household, but not against your people, that they should be plagued. You know, David's repentance here, when you look at this story, you see that it opened his eyes to the true nature and to the extent of his sins. In other words, the destruction of other lives, other innocent lives, his sin caused. And this real, realization basically moved him um, to the next important step in breaking the sin habit, and that is to the desire to do something about it. In other words, to uh, the need to make restitution of some kind. You know, David, he didn't want his sin to hurt other people, you know, because it was his sin. It wasn't theirs. So he didn't want his sin to hurt other people so he offered himself as sacrifice, you know, to stop the punishment, you know, to appease God in some way. Well, I really believe this is an important step in breaking the sin habit for several reasons. Number one, it demonstrates just how, um, it demonstrates how a person is, uh, truly understands the seriousness and the evil of their sin. You see, you know, sinners, who actively fight against their former sins, you know, and try to make up for them, you know, they prove their sincerity. I mean, they're working at dealing with their sin problem, you know, and it shows a person, shows where they stand in regards to their sin. There was an illustration, a story told of a woman um, who made porno movies for years. You know, she quit, she got married, she had a family, and then she became very outspoken about the evil and destructive nature of pornography. She raised money and she wrote a book and she went to Washington lobbying against all the evil that it stood for. So people knew where she stood. You could see a definite change in her life. You know, this restitution, you know, it pre prepares you for the, for the last and the, the most necessary step in breaking this sin habit. You know, some people... They get to this point, they get to the point of restitution, and they never go any further. Basically, they think that they're done. They've arrived. They've achieved everything they need to achieve. You know, they'll become advocates. They'll build hospitals. They'll write books. You know, but David went one um, important step further, which kind of guaranteed his freedom 
from this sin habit. And this last step is restoration. Restoration. Look at verses 18 and 19. Then the angel of the Lord commanded Gab to, Gad to say to David that David should go up and build an altar to the Lord on the threshing floor of Ornan the Jebusite. So David went up. So David went up at the word of Gad, um, which he spoke in the name of the Lord. And then in verses 26 and 27, we'll skip a couple there. Then David built an altar to the Lord there and offered burnt offerings and peace offerings. And he called to the Lord and he answered him with um, fire from heaven on the altar of burnt offerings. The Lord commanded the angel and he put his sword back in his sheath there. I want you to notice this in this story. <clears throat> that when David was wanting to offer himself as a sacrifice, when he realized that his sins was worth his life, God restored him to have fellowship once again. You know, the idea of building an altar and offering a sacrifice, it kind of demonstrates that David and God were at peace once again. That wedge had been taken away from them, between, that was separating them from each other. You know, God allowed David to offer an animal instead of himself as a peace offering to bring about this reconciliation. Folks, until a person truly understands that it is sin, big or little, that causes our separation from God and our ultimate destruction, you know, they do not feel the need to be reconciled to God because they don't think they've done anything. You know, they remain ignorant or they go on sinning thinking that God will not require an accounting for every sin in their lives. But folks, understand, sin is sin and we have to count for every one of them, big or little. You know, when we see the destruction of sin, kind of like David did here in this story, when we begin to desire to make things right with God, and, you know, and we just like David we want to offer that sacrifice, that peace offering to take away sin, to remove the guilt and the fear that stands between us and God. This is basically when God sends his son, Jesus, into our lives. You know, because it won't be our understanding. It won't be our repentance of sin that will restore us. It won't be our active effort to combat sin and its effects that will remove our guilt. It won't be that. It won't be things that we can do under our own power. It won't be our own personal sacrifice or death that will take away all the condemnation. It won't be that. Folks, we can't make restitution or pay for our moral debt. It will be the death of Jesus on the cross that will do that. Jesus is the answer to all those things. You know, Jesus is the one that pays the moral debt that we owe for our sins. Jesus is the one that cleanses our conscience, you know, of guilt. He's the one that removes the fear of punishment from us. Um, he's the one that makes us at peace with God and guarantees our place in heaven. You see, David, he offered an animal with the hope that one day God would send a perfect sacrifice that would remove sin for everyone and break the sin habit once and for all. And God did that through his son, Jesus Christ. You know, we can be grateful for that. So as we bring this message to a close here, 
you know, I want you to understand this was a turning point in David's life because after this event, you know, he turned his attention to preparing the resources and preparing his son to build just this magnificent temple for the Lord. You know, it's almost as if David, he went from wanting to build his own kingdom to the desire to build God's kingdom. It's like there was a change there. And folks, that's what happens in our lives when we break the sin habit. We stop living for ourselves and we start living for Jesus Christ. You know, we begin realizing um, what our sins really are. When we break this sin habit, to break the sin habit, we, we begin to realize what our sins really are. And we accept what others say, or maybe we respond to our conscience, you know, or we realize that, that we're in trouble as a result of our sins. We need to understand that sin is destructive for us. Sin can keep us out of heaven. You know, we move to a sincere repentance that um, includes a willingness and, and an effort, basically, at real change. A change, um, the cost of, you know, regardless of the cost in pain, regardless of the cost in inconvenience, or, or a degree of self-denial uh, self here. Repentance leads us to a desire to make things right, you know, to do the right thing, to be hungry and thirsty for righteousness. And that thirst will draw us to the only one that can satisfy that spiritual dryness. Folks, and every time, Jesus Christ is the one who gives living water to satisfy that dryness. You know, our desire is really to be right with God you know, and our desire to be right with God will help us to open our eyes and our hearts to believe in Jesus and be baptized into his name, to wash away our sin and be at peace with God, you know, once and for all. So I ask you, what kind of sinner are you? What kind of sinner are you? So, well, preacher, that's kind of a crazy question. You know, the Bible says we all have sinned. We're all sinners, that's for sure. But what kind of sinner are you? Are you one that's struggling daily against it? Are you really actively trying to get out of it? You know, do you have a sin habit that needs to be broken? Folks, that's a question that only you can answer. We need to understand that God's done his part. He sent someone to pay for our sins but we have to accept it. We're the ones that have to do something about that. So what are we going to do about our sins? Are we going to just try to ignore them and think, oh, they're just little sins? But folks, those little sins are like termites. They'll eat your house and cause it to collapse upon itself. And the devil knows there's more houses destroyed with termites than with dynamite. And if he can just keep eating at you, with those little sins, folks, it will destroy you. We may think they're small, but we need to understand that sin is sin in the eyes of God. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word and for the many examples that you've given us on how we should live. 
And Father, when we do fall and when we do sin, you give us the path to return. And Father, we're so grateful for that. We understand that's called grace. And Father, what a gift grace is. We cannot fathom how great it is. But Father, we do thank you for it. And we thank you for the examples on how to return to you when we fall. Father, we pray that you would forgive us where we sin. But Father, help us to repent of that sin. Help us to turn away from it. Help us to change our lives because we don't want to break your heart. In Jesus' name, amen.